Well, if you have your Bible uh, this morning, will you turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 4? Um, we, we started last week in the Song of Solomon, if you're visiting with us today, um, we started last week a three-week series, and my prayer is that it stays a three-week series, but uh, it may turn into a four-week series, um, only because chapter 4, 5, and 6 are the meat of this book, and, uh, and really important. And I, I, I found myself uh, about four pages into an outline thinking, if, if I don't get past verse 9 on four pages, we could be here till tomorrow. And as much as I would appreciate that hanging out, I thought it'd be better to split it into two weeks. But if you weren't here with us last week, and Song of Solomon's new for you, Song of Solomon um, is, a, is a poem, or possibly a collection of poems, but a poem written between um, a bride and their, her groom that becomes a husband and a wife. It's attributed to Solomon. Uh, and so we'll, we'll communicate it as Solomon and his bride uh, as we, we talk through that today. Um, but we looked at chapters 1 and 2 last week and really focused on that premarital side of this, this important as we continue into marriage. And we talked about the beginning, how important it is to have that spark in your marriage and how to tend that spark and care for that spark and how important that is in our marriage. And, and we know that's hard to do. With We have kids and life and busyness, but we know the value of that spark. The second thing we talked about is how important it is that we continue to appreciate God's handiwork in our beloved that we got to be careful not to get caught up with the world says we need to appreciate or just being shallow in what we appreciate but we need to appreciate what god has done and how god has has been at work in the one that he has provided and given to us in our relationship and then we we kind of ended it with their call on this side the other side of marriage that says hey god's plan is worth waiting for if we haven't waited if we didn't start yesterday we start today we didn't get into chapter 3. Chapter 3, they get married, right? And so um, I'll let you read that story. But as we get into 4, 5, and 6, we're now looking at a married couple. And that really matters. Um, because as we look in that, you're going to see something continue that's really soft and amazing and tender. And we, we kind of look at Song of Solomon, uh, and we can get, get a little bit worried. If, you're, if you have kids in here today, and today you're like, oh my gosh, I brought my child to Song of Solomon Sunday um, and all those kinds of things. Uh, verse 5 scares us to death, right? Third word in there. The Hebrew word is sha'ad. So if y'all are all white with that, we'll, we'll read every word in English, but we'll, we'll PG it up and we'll call that sha'ad there uh, as we work through it. But, but the reality is this passage of Scripture, these first nine verses, there's so much sweetness and tenderness to it that we really need as a part of our life and a part of our walk in, in Christ with our spouse. And, and I know how hard it is. Listen, 25 years into marriage, and, and I want to let you know, Christy and I, we were, we were friends for 12 years before we got married. Then we've been married for 25. So I don't even remember hardly life without Christy in it. Um, but in that, I, I can go back even now and I can look at this undulation in my life and I will tell you, the valleys in our relationship, and church, we have had valleys in our relationship. We have gone through really hard times in our life together. But I would tell you, in those valleys, verse 1 through 9 of chapter 4 was mainly absent in both of our worlds during those valleys. 
And, and, and what I mean with that is there's a communication and a conversation that has to happen in the midst of that. That's important. I want you to listen, first of all, to why this is such a spiritual thing. This is what Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says in it. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Don't, don't, don't rush that. Just as you received Christ. I don't, I don't know if you remember what it was like when you received Christ. For, for some of you, that knowing was like a warm, just a warm bath or warm blanket. It was just, there was some certainty and there was some sweetness and security to it. To others of you, it was probably like lightning. It was just life-changing. And, and you, 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 it may have turned your crank and gotten you so excited. And, the, and, and it doesn't, I'm not telling you there's a certain way that you're supposed to feel. But, but do you feel that way about Christ every day? Because God's called us to say, listen, just as you've received Christ, that's how I want that happen. But I want it to grow and I want it to mature. Maturity doesn't mean boring, stale, and, and worn out. And I really believe that God has given us marriage, man and wife becoming one for that purpose. To help us practice what he is calling us to do in a much deeper, stronger relationship with him. In fact, I would tell you, if you look at your walk with, with Christ, the things that we don't practice in uh, chapter 4 are probably in those valleys. And so in those things, what we're talking about today is how do we keep chapter 1 and 2 in our relationship, not just like reliving it, but how do we build up our marriage? How do we grow in our marriage? And I really just found myself walking through the notes and, and thinking, I don't want to run through this um, too fast or, or too hard. But the God-honoring marriage should be an example of building up. A couple building and pouring into each other where there's maturity and growth. And so we'll walk through that today. Um, we're talking about cooking illustrations because it seems like cooking and marriage work well together. Y'all are with me on that. Um, I, I don't know if you like to cook. Do we have any cookers? Uh, let me do this. If you're a baker, raise your hand. If you like to bake stuff in the room, yeah, you're good. Anyone like like the 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 stovetop? Like you love anything stovetop? Any grillers in the room? Yeah, any microwavers? Yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> That's so good. That's where we started out in our life as well. Um, it's different. We talked about seasoning last week, but I want to tell you, I, I don't. I know the microwave really well. I'm pretty well versed in that one. I can I can get a hot dog to you in a few seconds flat. But outside of that, on the grill, do you know when you season stuff, you you really shouldn't use the same seasoning on everything you put on the grill. Y'all following me, dads? You came for Jesus. I'm helping your whole family out today, right? You, you really should use a different type of seasoning for a steak and a red meat than you really need to put in on a chicken. Chicken deserves different treatment. If you, if you cook vegetables on a grill, if you don't do this, we throw asparagus on there. We'll slice uh, sweet potatoes up and throw them on the grill. We love cooking out. If you're not hungry yet, we'll get there by the end. But, but they deserve different treatments. Like I love A1 sauce when I'm using ground beef. And I'll actually put it in my marinade a little bit. You're welcome for this. A1 breadcrumbs and an egg. Like, you're welcome. You'll have a great lunch later on. Like, I just, I love that. But if I were to marinate my chicken 
in A1 sauce, it would just taste like salt and weird. You know what I'm saying? And then if you were to say, but I like A1 sauce so much, let me put it on my sweet potato slices on my grill. You should be committed for that. That's wrong. Like, like vegetables do that. Or if you had like a tender vegetable, like a squash, when you cut a squash open, you put it on the grill, it becomes real, all the, the juices come out. If you put the wrong seasoning on there, it no longer tastes like squash. Some of you are like, that's what I'm going for. Like, I get it, I get it. But, but as you walk through that, that, you can really mess it up. Because the seasoning that you put on your food, it should do two things, right? Most good seasonings have a salt or a fake your brain out salt on them. You know what I'm saying? What salt does is it draws the flavor of whatever it's on to the surface, right? If you're cooking a steak, it draws the juice and the sugars to the surface. It's, it's fantastic, right? But however it works. But, but it can also add to it. Most people, if you, if you go to a restaurant, if, they, if they're good cooking good meat, they put salt and pepper. Pepper adds to the flavor. Salt draws the flavor out. You follow me, right? Ketchup means we need to have cooking classes, right? But kind of walk through that. But, but it's supposed to draw out the inner just wonderfulness of food. That's what salt does. And then you need a little something that adds to it. Now, maybe that's a little garlic. Maybe on chicken, that's lemon. If you do lemon and steak, we'll talk later. I don't, I don't understand it. But, but, you know, you can add little things to it that just kind of just make it a little bit more pungent. And that's great. I want you to know, in your relationship with your spouse— what you speak to them should draw out the beauty that God has given to them. And because you are different, your words should complement. And it should add a little extra to it. Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, messed it up, Genesis chapter 3. God saw he made Adam. Adam was good. But he needed someone to draw that love out and to add to his life. And therefore, when God made Eve, she needed the same thing. And, and when we find ourselves in marriage, it's very much like God, it's going to really kill me, misogynistic stuff. So guys, I'll use us. Like guys or ladies, God just gave you a good looking piece of meat, right? Now, God's just given you a choice individual. And that choice individual, you have a special access to. And what you say to them is more potent than what anything else in the rest of the world, anyone else will ever say to them. You can bring out their beauty or you can destroy it in a way that no one else in the world can. You can compliment them or you can just douse them with too much of you and wipe them out. And we have to protect marriage from that. Because the truth is, is that our world has gotten used to saying, in your relationship, there is no more juice left. There's nothing left to bring out. You have been overcooked. You have been dried out in a humidifier. And so all you need to do is just have a lot of us on it, almost to where you don't recognize marriage, and marriage becomes unimportant. Because you can use this worldly seasoning on anyone, anywhere, at any time. 
So if your marriage fails, don't try to, don't try to work on it. If life is hard, don't try to work on it. Just cut it loose. You be a better you and put your sprinkling on other people. And if they don't like it, they're not good for you. That's garbage. That's ridiculous. God has designed marriage for unique satisfaction and sweetness. And that's what we read in Song of Solomon chapter 4. All right? So let's read it. We'll walk through it. We're going to look at how our marriage is sweeter by this. But we're also going to see, because all Scripture points to Jesus, how this actually helps us draw into a sweeter relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll read verse 1 all the way through 9. Then we'll go back and kind of keep hitting it over and over again. This is what the Bible says. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are dove behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of leaping goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Your teeth, excuse me, your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the tower of Abel, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, and all of them shields of warriors. Your two sha'ad are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of your myrrh, to the hill of your frankincense. You're altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sanir and Hermon, from the den of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. In this passage, church, we find a few different things in there, and we're going to walk through them. Again, this is not meant to be literal, okay? And here's what I mean by that. If you were to, like, take your pencil on the back of your bulletin and draw out a lady that looked like those words, that would be, like, nightmare stuff. I mean, flock of goats, is, your, your hair is like a flock of hopping and leaping goats. Like, you can't think of something better, you know? I mean, it's, it's interesting. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. I'm not sure that would make my wife feel special today if I said that. But as we walk through this, if there's two words that I want you to remember, it's this. It's practice praise. If you want your marriage to resemble what Christ has for you and... You want to see what life looks like in Christ. In your marriage, you should practice praising your spouse. And, and you have to practice doing it in the way that is right. Now, do you remember chapter one, if you were here with us last week? Chapter one, do you remember what she said? I'm dark, but I'm lovely. My brothers didn't like me. Do you remember that stuff? If you, if you need to go back to that, you can start in verse five and kind of read down a little bit for a recap. But, but her life 
was working in a vineyard, living on a tent among shepherding family. In fact, her call was, I want to come after you and be a part of your flock, but not like one of the, the ladies who are selling themselves on the edge, not like the prostitute. I, I want to come and follow your flock. Show me where you go. Her world is not made up with Braybrook Mall in downtown Houston. The world that she lived in was, was one of flocks and herds. And so what he does here is he practices praising her using three different words, and they're all F words, in familiar, focused, and full words. And the first one is familiar. You see, if you and I read that, I mean, if, if you, you can kind of pick one if you want to, right? If you want to turn to your spouse, just, just you can go with a verse 2, right? Just turn to your spouse if they're close enough and just look at them with all sincerity and say your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from washing, okay? You ready? One, two, three. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. <laughs> yep, that didn't spice anybody's relationship up, did it? Like, no one's like, yes, I've been waiting for that! Oh, I mean, I, I just love that he puts it in there. Like, not one of them has lost its young. What he's saying is they're all there. Like, what? <laughs> Tell me I'm beautiful. All your teeth are there, honey. And this, this is not the world that we grew up in. These aren't familiar words to us. But guess what? You're not the girl in the story. See, Solomon, he knows her. And so he's not trying to use words that are his. Solomon's dad was a shepherd, but he grew up in the palace. Solomon's language is royal. That's, that's his language. But in this letter, he says, I'm going to practice praising her he's building her up he's maturing that relationship and he does it by using words that are familiar and full of meaning to her i mean she grew up around shepherds she grew up in a vineyard she grew up in around fruit so when he says what's the finest fruit that she would be familiar with pomegranates your cheeks are like two halves of pomegranate they're beautiful and they're a delicacy. It's hard to compare anyone to you. She knew what the difference between a shorn you was and whatnot. He just says, listen, your teeth, they're white, they're smooth, they're beautiful. AKA, your breath doesn't stink. He just, he says that like your, your hair it's not, it's not thin. It's not falling out. I mean, it's like goats. It, there are waves to it. I love all of these things about you. Your skin is tender. It's cared for. I delight in it. Over and over, he is praising her in a way that is familiar to her. Here's what Psalm 139 says. Psalm 139 says that God knows us. He knows us so well. In Matthew, Jesus says it. God knows you so well, every hair on your head. 
right? Some of you are saying, how do I get to know God better? Let me tell you this. If you want to practice what it takes to get to know God better, study Him and study your spouse. Because if you can practice with your spouse acting in a way that brings God glory, then you know you can do the same with Him. And you may say, but I'm not married. You can practice this anywhere, but this is uniquely for marriage. Because there's an intimacy that is the closest thing to a oneness that we will experience for eternity with God. In a marriage relationship, that's as close as it gets. There's no better example. You don't become more one with someone else. There's a difference between a relationship that emulates and a relationship that complements and completes. Right? Ladies, I'm a fan of ladies having women best friend. I I can tell you the, the two in my wife's life and I love it I love her to spend time with them they get each other they understand each other it's wonderful but there's a difference between emulating and and sharing that and completion and adding to and making better and she's allowed me to be the only person in her life for that and vice versa and so when you praise your spouse are you just using words that are familiar to you or you use the language that's familiar to her or him I mean I don't know if you've ever taken it if you haven't you can go look it up online it's, it's great do a little five love languages quiz right? right for me physical touch and gifts that's where that's where we go in our, our world we love being generous and that, that kind of thing I love coming home and you know Christy will bring me beef jerky or something she knows my love language Right For her, it's acts of service, quality time is part of that. And, and so if I want to say I love you in a familiar way to her, then it's speaking terms that are familiar to her, not to me. You see, there's something about intimacy that God has called us to in Him that He allows us to see an image of in marriage that is vulnerable and trusting. And if you and I are using our junior high pickup lines, right? I mean, I don't even remember. Just, there's one about, t- you're the only 10 I see. You following me? Right? But, but if, if, if that's where you are, then slow down and get to know your spouse so that you can become familiar with them. Let me tell you, familiar words that blossom in my wife's life have to do with music and Jesus. And, and I, I have, for all of my life, uh, married life, I've gotten to see Christy lead in worship. But even when she's sitting next to me, the most attracted I am to her is when she is playing music and worshiping Jesus. And so if I were just to, to speak in language that's familiar to me and never mention those two things that I love about her to her and I were just like, wow, your legs look great. I didn't do anything, just in case you were wondering. That doesn't do it because the language is mine. It's not hers. Are y'all following me on this? And so a lot of time, our marriages find itself in trouble because we're not being vulnerable. We're not trying to take time to speak a familiar language. When Jesus came and he called you and me, do you know what he spoke in? Common language, parables. 
If you want to see deep theology, you look at Jesus. If you were to, to put Jesus' sermons against what we consider deep theological sermons today, his were short. His were receivable. His were for the people who did not go to seminary. His were for the people who did not have YouTube and, and Facebook so that they could become the critics of the world. That's not who he, he didn't care about that. He spoke in a language that could be received because the message was powerful. Do you know in your relationship with your spouse, you need to speak in a language so that the powerful message that God has given you for your beloved can be received. Church, stop being selfish. Stop withholding information as a crux or, or tool over your spouse. Stop saying, I can't do it because I've tried it and I didn't get anything back. That's called a boomerang gift. When you and I use familiar language to praise our spouse and we're upset when they don't give it back, then you gave it for selfish reasons not to edify and to build her or him up in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he gave and he gave and he gave and the disciples ran away and Peter denied him and people beat him and he gave and he gave. Why? Because he so loved so you want to see your marriage blossom find out what the goats and the ewes and the pomegranates are in your spouse's life get to know their language the second part of this is kind of like the first we, we have to practice praising them in a familiar way but in a focused way Right? It, it really needs to be focused. If you read through this, here's what I want you to do. We're going to read it again. You're going to read it so much, you're going to just love it, right? I want you to know when is the beloved, the groom, or Solomon, when is he thinking about him over her? Who's the focus? Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like dove behind the veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping in the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from their washing, all which bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet blood. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Verse 4, your neck is like a tower of David built in rows of stone, hangs a thousand shields, and all, the warrior, all of them for warriors. Your shod are like two fawns, uh, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lily. Do you, are you following me? Who's his focus? It's her. It's her. Men, can I talk to us for just a minute? Ladies, I'll talk to you in just a second. I, when I take the trash out, I normally put a neon flashing sign above the back door saying, look what I did. Y'all follow me, guys? Yeah, since ladies laughed at that, I'm assuming some of you share that with me. When you do something to get something, your focus is here. It's not there. If you want a pleasurable marriage, men, stop thinking of yourself. Cut it out, quit it. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you must die to yourself 
and take up your cross and follow him. And marriage is saying, listen, if you want to imitate the Lord, if you want to find that out, Ephesians chapter 5, men, present your wife blameless and holy. Stop thinking about you've had a bad day. I've had a bad moment. I don't feel like it right now. Ladies, you've had practice because when you didn't feel like it and you had children, you still had to get up from bed. Guys, we get a little soft in this focus area. But you let your wife know, I'm praising you because of you. fearfully and wonderfully made and my soul knows it very well you're my focus why would Jesus wear him out because the will of his father was his focus over and over you 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 and let me tell you what will battle with you Genesis chapter 3 in Genesis chapter 3 part of the consequence of sin was a struggle between man and woman that they would struggle and wrestle that struggle that wrestling is selfishness and God has said if you want to follow me you have to give up everything I completely expose yourself and say I am nothing and you're everything and I'll take care of you you have to trust me in your relationship with your spouse, when you're speaking words to them, we speak them with them as their focus. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. In fact, my reward is the smile on your face. It's the joy in your heart. I think sometimes when our focus pretends to be about our spouse, it's like taking that A1 and pouring it all over those sweet potatoes. If you, woman, would just be who I'm telling you you should be, it'll be great. That's what pornography does. That's what domination does. It says, I would focus more on you if you would look a little less like Jesus and a little more like what's on my heart. Sin calls you and it feels so normal and so natural and it stops putting the focus on the spouse and ladies you have a different go I was reading statistics the other day ladies who work still do twice as much work at home than the guys do and there's some bitterness that says I'm focusing on him Lord and it's not working do you trust the Lord Will you be vulnerable with your spouse in what you say and what you do so that you can say, I am focused on you. That's why in Corinthians, if a woman is married to an unbelieving man, the Lord says, just keep, keep loving him like I've commanded you. You practice this, that he might be won over. We trust the Lord. Will you practice praising your spouse in obedience to God? The last thing is full. Now, look with me down in verse 7, 8, and 9 in Song of Solomon chapter 4. The Bible says it this way. Oh my gosh. 
are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amman, Amana, from the peak of Sinir, from Hermon, from the dens of the lions, from the mountains of the leopards. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eye, one jewel of your necklace. Like, listen. If you want to practice praising your spouse in a way that is biblical and the way that God has said, trust me in these things, we have this little example, then they have to be the fullness of your gaze. They have to be it. The second greatest time for divorce to happen in a marriage is after your last child graduates from high school. Ladies, I want you to hear this. Your child is not your world. And I love mine. My wife loves our kids. But God has made you one with one person. And that's who you need to practice praising in the most intimate ways. You can practice praising your children. But if you don't practice praising your husband, then you are setting yourself up for a massive ravine that's coming. And life is busy and it's full and you're going to miss it. And all of a sudden, you're standing on the edge of the cliff wondering what oneness really means. And if the enemy can get you wondering what oneness means, then he can get you wondering what oneness in Christ. Is your salvation secure? Is your faith secure? And so you should practice praising your husband like this as well. Not, 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 not just doing, not just going. Guys, it, it's the same for us. But what Solomon says here is so good. First of all, he says, you're my everything and I want to be your everything. Come with me from where you're at. I don't ever want you to go away. I always want you here. I don't want to know life without you. I just want you here and I want you to feel safe with me and then he says why the word captivated means you have my heart no one can hurt me or love me like you do and I want you to know I, there's nothing I can do about it Paul would use similar language of Jesus he says that the love of Christ controls him. It compels him. And I think in our marriages, in our relationships, we find ourselves seeing this picture that if there is something distracting you from fully loving your spouse and praising them undistractedly, put it aside. Kill the internet. Turn off the 14 social media apps you have. Invite them to church. It's a whole new social media game. But practice praising your spouse with familiar words to them. Speak their language in a way that's focused on them and not on you. And let that be the fullness of that moment. And see what happens. I wrote this down to go. If there's two things to walk away with today is one, if you're married, one of the things God has made you for is to edify your bride or your husband. 
if you practice praising your spouse in a biblical way, your marriage will stand out. Why? Because you'll be making much of Jesus. And if you can do that in your marriage and you spur one another on towards love and good deeds, then you'll realize God has made you for an even higher purpose, and that's to exalt him. That's to make much of him. Familiar. I, I want you to know, if you don't know, how do I praise God? With the same way you would praise your spouse, use words that are familiar to him. And you may say, all the words are familiar to him. That's right, but why are you asking? So if you don't know words that are familiar to God, here's what I would tell you. Use his words. Offer them back. Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, just be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Just use God's words to praise him. If you don't know where to start, just open your Bible. Prayer after prayer after prayer is lifted up, and they are sweet to him. They need to be focused. Praise God undistracted. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Let him, let your Father who is in secret, he'll reward you. You need to have a private praise with God. Let him be your full focus. And you might say, I would kill to have a closet I could hide in for a few hours a day. John 11, verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes in public. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around here, that they may believe that you have sent me. God, you're the focus of my prayer. And the fact that you want to sprinkle down some of who you are on those around us, praise God. But you are my focus. You can praise God in private and you can praise him in public. But both places, he has to be your focus. And if when you pray, everything that you had forgotten to do all of a sudden pops into your mind, put a notepad next to you, write it down, and focus again. Just focus on him and praise him fully. Leviticus 20, verse 26. Thus you are to be holy for me. For I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from peoples to be mine. God has set you apart to be his don't share yourself with any other God, with any other thought, with any other, with any other belief. You see, your marriage is the object lesson of how to know God better, of how to praise God more fully and rightly. And the benefit of that is God has said, here's your practice ground. And if you want to live a fullness in your life and in your marriage until you're reunited and made perfect with God, Practice praising the model, the example God has put next to you. And you may say, well, pastor, I tried that once. Well, that might be the problem. Try it as past tense. You may say, pastor, my life is too full. My spouse knows I love them. Of course they do. But do you want them to shrivel up and meet Jesus underwatered, undernourished? Is that presenting your spouse blameless to the Lord? Or do you want to present him a bouquet of flowers in full bloom, fragrant incense offered to him? It's lost in some of the words, jumping goats, shorn ewes, pomegranates. But don't let it be lost in your home. Because I really do believe 
that oftentimes when we're feeling distant from Jesus, we've stopped pursuing him in the ways that he's called us to follow him. And everything seems like it stops feeling right. In your marriage, practice praising your spouse to the glory of God and see how God will use that to make models and examples and parables and illustrations for you to praise God and for that love relationship and that intimacy to grow and grow and grow. But here's what I want you to know. Just like in marriage, this practice is reserved for man and woman who have, who have exchanged a covenant and God has made one. That's in, in biblical practice range. You shouldn't be practicing this kind of stuff with just people on the street that will get you arrested, amen? It's brokenness. Don't let cheap imitations catch your eye. Listen, if you want to practice praising God and being more intimate with Him, you can't do it unless you've been washed and made one, unless you've become a bride for the groom. But He made a way for that, He spoke a language that you needed. You and I were chained in sin and we needed someone to set us free. So he sent his son Jesus to unlock the captive and let you be free to love him. So you have to be willing to say, God, I am a captive. I believe you will set me free and I will give you the love for all of my life. My Lord and my Savior. And in that moment, that begins this love story. But that's where it starts. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Lord, today as we look in your word, as we find ourselves connected to you, Lord, I think a lot of times we, we forget, Lord, that you have given us a world and a life and you have left us in it so that we could be a light for you, not hidden under a bushel, but to make much of our king. So God, we want our marriages to make much of our king. Lord, I want people to look at my bride and to say, Wow, I want to make my spouse shine for the Lord like that. I want people to look in our marriage and desire a spark that is not man-made. And a spark that is not a spark that doesn't grow out. But Lord, that begins in you. Because the fullness of it's in you. So Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, whether said in a closet, whether spoken to our spouse, whether proclaimed in our witness, let it give you praise.